Hello to all of you out there. I am Ulrike Seminati, host of the podcast, Empowering Female Leaders, for women who want to thrive. Every week you will get new perspectives, exciting insights, and empowering messages of women from all over the globe. Welcome to another episode of my podcast, Empowering Female Leaders. I am pleased to welcome today Helen Appleby, who is a British New York-based women's leadership expert who has helped hundreds of women step into their power and write their own rules for success, while also helping hundreds of men understand how to best support those women. Having seen firsthand the experiences women disproportionately face in their careers, Helen created the Unwritten Rules to empower women with tools to write their own rules, navigate their versions of success and achieve their potential. She's a fantastic shopper, an average yogi and a terrible cook. Helen, that sounds like me, especially the last <laughs> sentence. I can relate to that. <laughs> Thank you. I feel so seen. <laughs> Do you want to add something about yourself? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I guess, um, you know, I come to this work a bit like you, Erica. I come to this work having had my own corporate career and lived and worked in six countries and uh, ran a billion dollar business. And, and I guess the reason I do the work that I do is because, you know, I walked the journey first and, and I found my own struggles on the journey. The trying to cry silently in the bathroom because I took conflict so personally and found it so difficult. And then, you know, that sense of once I had kids, that real sense of leaving work too early and getting home too late, even though I only lived 10 minutes from work. And just, you know, the struggle of being seen and heard appropriately, you know, finding mentors and sponsors, because I, you know, I didn't look like the people that were really senior in the company. And then this whole area of kind of getting visible and being seen and heard appropriately. I did all that, right? And I, I struggled and it could have been, should have been easier, but all of the courses that I went on, it wasn't on any of the courses. So that was really kind of the, the germ of the idea behind the unwritten rules because I went on the courses, but they didn't really teach me what I needed to learn, I think, to navigate as a woman. So, you know, once I'd figured it out, once I'd got really senior, I was like, do you know what? I'm going to write it down, all the things that I wish I'd known earlier in my career. So, you know, hopefully the women that come behind us or our daughters don't have to cry silently in the bathroom. So I'm uh, really, really passionate about this work. <laughs> yes, I can hear that. And I am too. So you have a very similar background with some, some similar pain points. And I think many, many women can relate to that and have exactly the same pain points of not being listened, not being recognized, at least not for their full competencies. You said something interesting uh, before as well, that you said you did not look like someone who was seen. Mm. Yeah, I can relate to that too. So I'm a very tiny person. And as long as I was younger, I was always like the little girl in the eyes of more mm. It's very, very hard. If you do not fit this leadership or this leader stereotype that is usually a white man in his like 50s, 
It's very hard and being seen fully for your competencies and not just for half of them, because there is some physical aspects, the fact that you're a woman, the fact that you might be young, whatever is the reason that is diminishing this perception of other people of us, it's, it's a real art. And as you say, there is something that people can do. Now, when we talk about feeling invisible, I think that is really something that many can relate to. We all know that feeling or have it known at least once in our lives that we felt like invisible. <laughs> and we said, well, here I am, look at me, I've done something great. What is the first thing that you tell your clients to overcome this invisibility? Where do you start working with them? I think the unwritten rule for me that I was eventually told in my career and and then thought, oh my goodness, I wish I'd known this 10 years ago. Erika is the, the rule is there is visible work and invisible work. And we only get judged on our visible work, right? Which means that if you're doing work or adding value or delivering results, but no one sees, you're not getting credit for it, right? And which means that either nobody knows it's going on or like what can sometimes happen, and which is even worse, is that someone else is getting credit for it. So I guess the approach that I take is, first of all, you know, on the inside to really help women understand that there's so much in many of us, there's so much good girl conditioning in us that the way we tend to play the game of work is the way that we play the game of being good at school. And being a good girl, which is basically if I'm quiet, if I sit at my desk, if I do good work and I get good marks, you know, if I get an A, like I used to do at school, then I'll be noticed, right? And to get really clear that the, the rules of the game have changed and just to do good work and hope and assume that you will get noticed is not going to work anymore, right? But that's what we want to do. The good girl inside of us still wants to play like that. So really getting clear on that and getting clear that that's going to, that is in our way, right? And then it's taking this, you know, this very, a, a pretty structured approach to what is my visible work and what's my invisible work and writing them down, right? And usually, honestly, Rebecca, I'm sure you have the same experience. When you say that, when I say that to a group of women, usually there's kind of a collective sigh of like, oh my goodness, my invisible work, you know, where do I even start? They have no idea. You know, if I left, they'd have to replace me with three people. Yeah. And all these things that, I mean, just breaks my heart that so many of us are trying so hard and no one knows. So then I say, right, okay, Make a list, make your two lists, what's visible, what's invisible. And then be really strategic about who needs to know, right? So who, it's another list, right? List number three, <laughs> um, who will be in the room or consulted when your next role is discussed, right? That might be a move, could, you know, could be a lateral move, could be a promotion, right? But who are those people? Right? They are your career stakeholders, right? They're your strategic network. And so you don't have to stand on the rooftop and shout about everything, right? But with a very strategic approach of what is my invisible work and who needs to know, who doesn't know what I do, who doesn't know the work I do, the results I deliver or the value that I add. And it's now your job to let them know. Again, though, 
<laughs> what that often where I got stuck on that on my journey was I kind of knew that and I was like oh self-promotion now I have to self-promote so yucky inauthentic I have to sell myself it was just gross right and it was like something else that was on my to-do list and I never did it so the pivot for me on that though was not you have to self-promote but can you educate them Helen can you teach them about what you do and when I flipped it that way you know can I teach them can I explain to them what it is that we're doing then I was like oh yeah I can explain I can teach that's great and then you know can you ask for advice can you give them an update and ask for advice oh yeah I can do that so that's the approach that I use with my clients and with the women on my course now. That's how I felt I could unlock it, right? You, you can't play good girl anymore. If it's visible, invisible, you're not getting credit. Who do you need to educate and how can you educate them? How can you teach them? And that is now your job. That really seems to make a difference. And you know, the research shows that getting visibility is so, so important on a career journey along with a couple of other things. And also particularly if we are heading into rocky waters economically, and if your company is likely to be thinking about reducing staff, this is a great time to make your work visible. Because if they don't know you're doing it, then they don't know if they cut your role that it won't be done. So there we go. That was a long answer to a short question, wasn't it? <laughs> but there was a lot in this answer and a lot of very useful tips. I think you brought it to a very concrete point what good networking is, actually. Many people shy away from this networking piece because they think, oh, it's a lot of chit-chatting with someone who is important or an influencer for my career in a certain way or an important stakeholder. How can I do this? And, and they mm -hmm. see it like something fluffy. Whereas, as you say, it is very important to come with concrete content, content on your work. And I understand very well this feeling of, oh, no, I can't go there and speak about my work. How, how should I even start this conversation? <laughs> But this yeah, perspective shift, which you propose, that you shift to teaching them about the work, asking for advice, which again... <laughs> Shows the other person, hey, I think you're a great expert, which people love mm -hmm. to, obviously, mm -hmm. create a connection. And they don't mm -hmm. even realize that most likely. And suddenly you become visible. And as you said, it's very important these days. Yeah. So I think this idea of kind of ask for advice and give them an update or give them an update and ask for advice. I think everyone likes to be asked for advice. And <laughs> as we know, like often the bigger the ego, the more they like to be asked for advice. And, you know. Many senior leaders have had help on the journey and many senior leaders understand that part of being a senior leader is developing the next generation. So we tend to think the good girl in us is like, oh, you know, I don't want to be a trouble. I don't want to take their time, right? It's their job. <laughs> it's part, it's not all of their job, but part of their job as the senior leader and having been one is grooming, developing, mentoring the next generation of leaders behind you. And if they've done, if they've had help themselves, they understand that. And you're not being a trouble, right? You're genuinely asking for advice and helping them understand where you are. And they don't mind, right? We just have to ask. 
What would you recommend someone who has a direct manager, a line manager, who is always like hiding away the achievements of that person towards the person above your line manager and who is taking the credit even worst case, like you said in the beginning, for your work? That is obviously a tricky question. How can you just step over this person or get across this glass ceiling inside of your organization? Oh, that's a difficult question in the abstract. I would say that I would ask if you can be involved. I would ask if you could present a section of it. I would build relationships around them. Maybe ask for advice from your boss's boss. Tell your boss that you're going to do it. But, you know, I've booked some time to talk to so-and-so. I'd like to ask them about this. Give them an update. <clears throat> the other thing that I talk about is the concept of micro-encounters. Right. Often with senior leaders, if we're if we are kept out of meetings or, you know, I mean, and again, that implies that it's deliberate. If we're not in meetings with senior leaders, if you're not in the meeting with the CEO. Often, though, we see them around. We might see them at the elevator or we might jump on a Zoom call and they're there or we might be at a meeting getting into an Uber. And often what happens in those micro encounters is that we waste them. Right. And we miss the opportunity for visibility that those very small moments can generate. So you get to a meeting room early and or you're in an elevator with the CEO and and oh, hi, Helen, how are you? Often what women will do in those moments is they'll say, I'm fine, thanks. You know, isn't it hot today? Right. And they'll flip the subject to something that's not them. And they'll waste that micro encounter. So I say to women, you're no longer allowed to say, I'm fine, thanks. And then change the subject. You have to say, great. And you have to have thought as quick as you can or in advance, if you see them walking down the corridor, what is it I want to say? Right. So great, thanks. You know, the project that I'm working on, we just had a great debrief. I'm so excited about the results. We're going to be coming to see you in about a month and asking you for money. So I'm looking forward to that. And suddenly they know that Helen's working on this, the results were good, that she's going to come and see me. And suddenly I'm looked at in such a different way other than if I said, I'm fine, thanks. I really think build your relationships around, book time with them, ask for advice, give them an update and use the micro encounters, right? Also, if you're in the meeting when they're claiming credit, you can say, we've done the work on that and kind of make it clear in the room that you worked on it too. And make another comment on top of, you know, what your boss said to compliment what your boss said to show that you were really involved. But there's a lot that you can do outside the room when your work becomes more visible, you realize I have a bit more stakeholders around me, even beyond my normal direct line above me. Also other mm -hmm. people can potentially speak for me in a meeting when it comes to promoting someone. But is there a good moment, a good tactic to bring up the topic of getting a pay increase or of claiming actually getting a next more interesting role, even if that role does not exist yet? What do you advise in this situation? I think the next role and the new role are a bit different as a kind of piece of stakeholder management from a pay rise, right? So let's do the next role first. In the first question you asked me about visibility, I talked about this kind of 
strategic network, right? Who will be in the room or consulted when your next role is discussed? Those are the people, if you want a new role, that you have to focus on. So it's about making a list of them and not focusing so much on your invisible work. You can do that, but then moving the conversation on to, you know, this is what I'm working on at the moment. And I'd love my next move to be this. If my next role was this, what advice do you have? You know, is there anything that you can see that I'm missing or that I should be doing in order to get there? So getting their advice and input. And and if you think of stakeholder management, as I often think, you know, when you've got that list, I often think of it, it's useful to think of it in kind of traffic light terms. This is my list of people that are going to be consulted or in the room when my next role is discussed. If I work down the list, who on that list is green from a traffic light perspective, right? Who is, who knows what my next role is that I want when I want it and thinks that I'm ready. So there will be an advocate for me. When that discussion happens, there'll be an advocate. Who's yellow? And yellow is like, they're not sure or you don't know. I don't really know them. They don't know the work I do or they know the work I do, but they don't know that I want to move to here. In which case you've got work to do because they're ambivalent. I call that the yellow ones. And then there's some folks that, you know, maybe red, maybe like, no, she's not ready or my team don't get on with her or, you know, whatever the issue is that they're not on your side, you want to manage them before they go into the meeting to discuss your next role. So you've got to go, you've got to get advice. You've got to say, how can I build support? This is what I want to do. What's your advice? What's missing? And, you know, make them feel involved, right? I often say, or that subconsciously, all of us, everyone supports what we help to build. And that's why you can get kids to eat vegetables if they chopped them and helped you cook. (laughs) So I think if a senior leader feels like, oh, Helen came to me and asked for advice on this. I told her this. She went away and did it. She came back and said, wow, that was so helpful. I'm on it. I've done this. Is there anything else I could be doing? And then she went away and did that. And I've seen a shift. This is now visible to me in a way that it wasn't before. They'll support you. Getting your next role is really about obviously doing good work, obviously making it visible, but then really taking a very mindful approach to the stakeholder management of that network. Sometimes when I say to women, who's going to be consulted or in the room when your next role is discussed? They're like, oh, you know, my boss at HR. No, it's not just your boss in HR. I think that list should be between six and 10 people long. It's your boss. It's your boss's boss. It's, you know, maybe other matrix people. It's your future boss. It's your peers may be asked. Really think it might be HR one level up as well, or HR one level below. Really think about who's on that list and are they red, yellow, or green? That kind of mindful approach is going to get you your next role. And again, another thing to think about with stakeholder management that I always say is the meeting happens before the meeting. So you do not want your next role to be discussed or for some talent review to happen where they're like, what's Helen's next role? No idea. Who knows her? Not sure. I kind of like her. Eh, I'm not sure. 
disaster. That's not going to get you promoted. So it's the meeting happens before the meeting and it's a mindful process. I just thought about a situation that I had in my own career. We were celebrating a huge event where I was just having a little subpart of the project by that time. And we went into a restaurant and I came as the second last person out of 20-ish. There were two seats empty, one in the area of my best colleagues, where I knew I will have a fun evening, we'll all eat great, and everybody was happy because it was so successful, this whole project. And there was this one place in front of the boss of my boss, and he was... People were fearing him quite a lot. He was yeah, like, yeah. nobody was sitting yeah. even my boss yeah. sitting diagonal to him and her peer, so another lady on the same level, uh, diagonal on the other side. And in between them and in front of this guy, empty seat. And I saw this seat and, you know, you enter this restaurant, you have a fraction of a second to decide. Mm. And I thought, I do it. I don't do it. Let's do it. And I sat in front oh, of him. Yes. Really surprised. Really surprised. Yes. And you know what this led to? And it, it, it was really eye-opening for me because I was such a bad self-promoter. And I wasn't even mm -hmm. self-promoting myself because we were discussing this wonderful event and how amazing this was at the headquarters in Switzerland, how amazing this would be if everybody, all the 30,000 employees around the world could benefit from the same event. And I sat there and I thought, seriously, what do I have to lose? And I said, if you want this to happen, I will do it for you. And when I saw nice. that, it was like, oh my God, I said that seriously. And he looked nice. at me and he said, are you aware of what you're saying and what huge work, what enormous work this will be? And I said, yes, and I can do it. I can promise you. And I got it. Well done. <laughs> Suddenly they, they made a, an incredible $15 million budget project out of that, which is enormous in corporate communication mm. by area. Mm. And uh, 20 events all across the globe, uh, a wonderful project by that time. And I had no team by that time. So for me, that was really a big step forward. But that is exactly what you say. Use the opportunities. There was not a meeting. It was just a dinner. And mm -hmm. you can choose if you if you just do the small talk. You know, I could have chosen as well mm -hmm. to just shut up and here and there say something intelligent, maybe or thinking that I maybe had something, but without really bringing something up that was more concrete and more about what I can contribute or what I am contributing to the company. And it's an opportunity. And I think we should just more actively, like you say, Think about these occasions, create mm -hmm. these opportunities. Create it. You created that. You create yeah. And yep. uh, like coming earlier into a room or earlier into a Zoom room. Yeah, three minutes earlier, you don't know who shows up. And if you're lucky, it's the boss of your bosses there with you maybe for a minute alone. That is the moment. And being ready then with what mm -hmm. are you up to right now that is really exciting for someone like that and stepping before maybe into the shoes of your potential stakeholders and shape your message so that you're ready <laughs> to say something. Yeah. The other thing I, I think that really works to build the relationship is to say something great that you're working on and the results that you're delivering. But then also maybe if they have a team and one of their team is working with you, and their team member has contributed, then maybe also to say, Sarah in your team has been a key driver of this. She's amazing. You know, she's done great work. Thank you so much. And reflect back on the contribu contributions that their team have made as well. It's really about thinking through what is it, how can you use that moment to the, the most power? But yeah, good job at the dinner table. I coach a lot of CEOs and you would be amazed how stressful going into a restaurant situation is for a CEO because it 
often happens that people don't want to sit next to them. It's really lonely, right? In some ways, being that senior can be really lonely. And I often say to senior leaders, don't sit down first or in the middle, you know, in the middle of people sitting down, wait, hold back, and then pick a seat when there's just a few left. Because if you sit down first, nobody will sit next to you and it it crushes them. It's so lonely and hard for them. (laughs) So well done. You sat down opposite. But that's a good perspective as well to see maybe this person is not thinking, why is she sitting in front of me? She's not important enough. This person is maybe thinking, oh, thank goodness, thank goodness someone sat there. Everyone's been avoiding me. I mean, if you think about it, like you can see why, because people are either like, oh, you know, I'm scared or everyone's going to think that I'm like creeping up to them. And so I can see why people don't, but it is lonely on the other side. So sit next to them. (laughs) Now, maybe one last question, the the payment question, asking for a pay rise is for many just a really big deal. Even when it comes with the yearly normal discussion coming up with a shy five to 10% more, it's like, oh God, how do I argue this? How can I, how can I bring this up? And even worse throughout the year, just asking when something has really changed in your work and you have much, much more to do and you, you have a different responsibility, but it wasn't recognized in money. And this is often a threshold that I see in women as well, because money Mm -hmm. topics they avoid. What is here your advice in this area? Mm. I think, again, the meeting happens before the meeting in some senses. It's really about taking an inventory of what was I hired to do? What have I done? What are the results that I've delivered? What's the value of those to the organization? How have I learned and grown? And how much more have I given? And then I think it's very clear. I was hired in a head of finance role. Now I'm also leading this department. I'm also leading this process. And that job description is now a CFO job description or, you know, whatever the equivalent of that would be, right? To show the change in your job scope or to show the scale of your deliverables. That's good. The other piece of work that needs to happen before the meeting is what are people doing similar roles to you being paid? And so being externally aware of if you, with your skills and experience and your kind of level of responsibilities, if you look outside, what are you worth? And then I think, you know, going preparing and going to talk to a boss and say, look, I love it here. Start with gratitude, then explain what you've delivered what you believe the role is worth and asking, I think I should be paid at this point or some point in the future, this amount of money. And, you know, I cover it in my book. I think the idea of stating a number first, if you know the salary range that you should be being paid, then getting a number out there and asking for a number is a principle called anchoring. And so if you say, I'm currently paid 100, whatever the currency, and you think you should be being paid between 100 and 125, asking for 125 means that now they have to negotiate from 125. So they have to kind of convince themselves and you why you're not worth 125. So you get the number out first. If you know the salary range, get the number out first. 
Otherwise, what you're doing is everybody's negotiating from 100, which is your current salary. So, you know, I think I'm worth more without a number against that. Yeah, more. Yeah, 102 is more, (laughs) right? Because you're currently anchored on 100. So really know your achievements, know how your job scope has moved, know what you're worth in the external market, start with gratitude, tell them how much you enjoy it, how much you've delivered, and then explain why you think you're worth this amount and get a number out there and then ask them to consider it. Yeah, thank you, Helen. That was a fantastic wrap-up at the same time. This is a nice checklist to go through and just doing it and just trying it out. I think in the beginning, it's certainly a bit difficult for some people who do not do that proactively because at the beginning, it feels maybe a little bit like staged or a bit artificial to go more proactively into these discussions. But I think doing it step-by-step makes a big difference. And over time, I'm sure that people can see how this changes their perception about themselves at the same time and the perceptions that others have about themselves. So they hate in their self-confidence and their self-esteem and the esteem of others at the same time, which is a great effect. And I think this is what people want when they feel invisible today. And I think it kind of circles all the way back around, doesn't it, to the first question that you asked me. That works best if your work is visible. So if you have made your work visible, then the list that you're bringing them to tell them about, they already know. And that's really where you need to start from. And again, to circle back around to the beginning of our conversation, remember that good girl conditioning. Remember that that is holding us back because we don't want to be trouble and you know we just want to get good grades and hope that we'll be recognized. And it doesn't work like that. I often say in a in our course, when it's just a few women together, I say a little prayer, which is, Lord, give me the confidence of an average white man. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, and I mean, you and I have led teams. We know that if somebody junior comes in with a prepared list of the things that they've done, the results that they've delivered, a reasonable look at what they think they're worth and an understanding of what they're worth in the market, and asks with gratitude and nicely and firmly for for us to consider a pay rise, we will. It's perfectly okay. It's perfectly okay. And, you know, there are men around you who are doing it all the time. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. So where can people learn more if they want to learn more from you or work with you even? What can they do? They can go to helenapplebycoaching.com or my book, my podcast, and my course are all called The Unwritten Rules of Women's Leadership. They can find me on LinkedIn, Helen Appleby, Helen Appleby Coaching on Instagram or HelenAppleByCoaching.com. I thank you very much, Helen, for this great conversation. Really welcome, Marika. Absolute pleasure. Lovely to hang out with you for a few minutes. (laughs) Thank you very much. Do you want to get free access to my ebook, Top 10 Achievers Lessons? To get your free ebook, All you have to do is leave a review on Apple Podcasts. Then send me a screenshot of your review to my email address contact at ulrikaseminati.com and I will send you your ebook straight away. This was another episode of Empowering Female Leaders. What are the questions and topics in female leadership that you are interested in? Let me know in the comments on YouTube and Instagram or join our LinkedIn group. I'm excited to hear from you. 
If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe for new talks with inspiring women from all around the globe. Thank you for listening.